Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie today is a special one for October. This year for October, I'm doing a bunch of horror movies slash suspense movies slash scary movies. And I have picked one that is near and dear to my heart of a movie that is so creepy it will lodge in your brain and will sit there for years and years and years. And it's not a traditional horror movie. This is more of a creepy suspense movie that kind of scares you on a different level. And the movie I'm talking about is the 2003 suspense movie Open Water about the world's worst scuba diving trip. And uh, this is a very polarizing movie. I'm going to tell you that right off the bat here. Some people absolutely love this movie. Some people absolutely hate this movie. It's one that I compare to another personal favorite of mine, The Blair Witch Project, which had a very similar reaction. Just some people, a movie like this really lodges in your psyche and affects you for the rest of your life. And some people just don't understand why other people are bothered by it. So I'm hoping to get into that. Um, my guest today for Open Water, um, this is a guy I've had on the show before. He was on, uh, he did my Joyride podcast way back, like my fourth episode of Staff Picks, way back in the day. And it's interesting because since then, he has since started his own movie podcast, almost in the vein of Staff Picks, where he recommends his own favorite movies to people. So I'm very excited to welcome him back to the show. Let's see, he's, uh, he's Australian. Uh, he's got some history with scuba diving in his family. He has a lot to say about this movie because it's based on a true story that happened in Australia. So that's why I specifically wanted him to come on the show. Welcome back to Staff Picks, Cable Brandon. Thanks for having me, Mario. I'm very excited to talk about this film and couldn't agree more with that lead in in that you were sort of saying it was a very divisive uh, film. Uh, I always got the impression when it first came out, it got a lot of hype or a lot of you know, people were congratulating the, the makers and, you know, that it was a very good film and all that sort of stuff. And then, recently, like last night, I was checking Rotten Tomatoes and just had a quick look and some of the people just slamming how bad this movie was, was it blew my mind a little bit. Like, I know it's not a, everyone's cup of tea, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to see the, the negative side of it because I hadn't really thought about it, hadn't looked at it before. So, yeah, I found that sort of interesting. But, yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. Well, why don't you remind people who you are? Give us a little of your backstory. Why are you a good uh, host for the Open Water episode? Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, no, I think uh, you did say I'm Australian and I'm from the country where it happened. I I was actually really interested in the original story. I think it was really big news here in Australia when um, an American couple disappeared off Great Barrier Reef and there was a lot of conspiracy theories around that and how this accident could happen uh so i guess i i had a fascination with that and it, it, trust me it was big news here and i'm sure it would have been big news back in the states because obviously they were u.s citizens and for these people to go missing um and this the big search for these people to try and find them and then obviously then three well, three four five years later the um someone put this uh on film and uh you know changed it around a little bit but uh it's pretty much the same story Okay, so I was I was curious about that. When uh, just for sum up for people who may not know, this movie is about a couple who goes scuba diving. They're on a charter boat on vacation, and while they're down underwater, they're they're miscounted and the boat goes back in, and they're basically stranded out in the ocean until the sharks get them. 
And like the movie's not any more complicated than that. It's very simple. But, but this, so this was a real life incident. And when did it happen? You said it happened around what, 99, late 90s? No, sorry, uh, around January 26, 1998. Okay. So it was, and it was a big, see, I'd never heard of this story, but it was a big deal in Australia when it happened? Yes, definitely. Okay. And is the movie very, very similar to the real life incident? I think so. I mean, a lot of it is, you know, there's still a lot of conjecture of whether they really survived. There was talks of, um, you know, f- faking their deaths to, you know, start a fresh life. Uh, there was a lot of different, I guess, angles people were coming from. And obviously the company that took them out that made the mistake, um, obviously they didn't want to look to be negligent. So there was definitely a push for, oh, well, maybe they did this or maybe they did that. And then there was... Once, once photos of these two people went up on Australian TV and news, um, you know, this, you know, about the search, then Pete, there was calls from other local places saying, "No, I saw that person yesterday. They're in this bookshop," and blah blah blah. So, again, it, it was one of those weird stories that it did sort of, I wouldn't say captivate the nation necessarily, but it definitely got the interest of a lot of people, including myself. So, um, I think the movie version definitely follows pretty closely to a lot of the facts but i guess it's you can't know 100 percent really at the end of the day we don't know nothing's ever really been proven 100 percent. so uh i think the movie just goes uh, what's the word i'm trying to think it just they try and stick to i guess maybe some of the facts a little bit and what we think is most likely to have happened to these people unfortunately Okay, so yeah, that that that's the part I wanted to get across to people that this is a real story. Nobody actually knows whatever happened to the couple. They do they were stranded out there in the water, but no one knows. So this movie is just kind of an artistic retelling of what probably happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so and again, this movie is very it's very minimalist and that's why I think it 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 kind of grates on people. When it first came out, it was kind of hyped as being like the biggest, maybe scariest shark movie you've ever seen. And a lot of people went into it thinking it's going to be like Jaws. And I think you'd agree with me, Cable. This is nothing like Jaws. No, absolutely not. Yeah, it was. It's basically the Blair Witch Project. And when I say minimalist, I'm not kidding. There's some numbers I pulled off today that off the internet that this movie cost $120,000 to make. And that has not a single special effect in it. There's no CGI. There's nothing. It costs less money than most normal movies' catering bill costs. And then it ended up grossing $55 million. So this is like uh, one of my, my, my favorite horror movie of all time, Halloween, which is made for like $100,000 and made hundreds of millions. This is like the 2000s versions of Halloween. Just They made com- something completely out of nothing. It's just basically people out there bobbing in the water and storytelling. But boy, is this a creepy movie. And I, this is the first thing I want to ask you, Cable. Does this movie get under your skin like as bad as pretty much as any other movie? I'm curious. Yeah, I think it's a movie that does get under my skin because I think when I was a kid, I really loved the ocean. Even when I saw Jaws, it didn't really deter me too much. But I think this is a movie that, I don't know, I I actually did a trip on the Great Barrier Reef probably three years ago now and went out there. And I had maybe this in the back of my mind. I didn't go right out to in a situation where they did. I was still sort of in a fairly, I guess, safe-ish area, but it was definitely... I don't know, you just have that in the back of your mind and 
you know, you just anything can happen and mistakes, you know, unfortunately people don't do it on purpose, but mistakes happen, unfortunately. So I guess it does, yeah, it does get under my skin. And it, it probably has made me, like when Jaws first came out, one of the big things people used to say, and again, I wasn't born then, but, um, you know, people were, you know, a bit more, you know, there was a bit of uh, trepidation about going back into the water because it sort of freaked a few people out. Anyone that had sort of those sort of issues already, you know, weren't really necessarily wanting to jump back in the water. But this is a movie that definitely, because, you know, it's based on a true story as well, I think there's definitely that aspect. If you're not super comfortable with the water and the ocean and potential sharks or jellyfish or whatever that's in the water, and that fear of, I guess, a little bit of the unknown, which can be the ocean. Um, yeah, it's definitely a movie that's, yeah, it's not for that. It's, it's not going to make you want to go in the water anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm, gra- I'm glad you brought that up because it does bring up something I wanted to say is that this movie might not be that scary in the moment. And I think that's the delineation that I want to make here is that like when you watch a haunted house movie and people are walking through a haunted house and there's a jump scare and it makes you jump out of your seat. Like, that's a scary moment in a movie, but that's not going to sit with you afterwards. And I've always said, like, anybody could make that movie. Like, anybody could throw things at you at the camera and make you jump. And, like, that's a short-term game, but it's not really a long-term scare. This movie is something completely different, because I will be honest with you that I have a very similar story to you, is that I went uh, snorkeling. It wasn't scuba diving, but I went snorkeling out on the Great Barrier Reef about three years before this movie in 2000. And I remember sitting there on the boat getting ready. The, the dive master's like, okay, just jump off. And you're looking around and you're looking at this ocean. And I'm thinking, I do not belong here. This is not where I should be. And it's very, it was a very primal moment just looking down and thinking of how many things are in that ocean that would kill me and eat me very happily. And it was like, that was like the hardest moment of my life. And that was before I saw this movie. So even at, even before this movie, I'm like, I should not be out here among all these creatures that don't want me here. And so w- once you see this movie, it really drives that home even further. Like, this is not where man was intended to be. You're just garbage out there. You're food. That's all you are, and that's all you will ever be if you get stuck there all alone. It's interesting you bring that up, too, because I don't know if you remember this or if this was even a thing when you were last in Queensland or Australia. Um but it was something I couldn't remember as a child, but when I was up there recently, yeah, like I said, but probably three years ago now, there's a lot of – and this is for, I guess, there are a lot of your audience that aren't from Australia don't really know a lot about Australia, but while there's beaches beaches up there, you can walk along the sand, it's amazing, and the water looks fantastic, there's actually a lot of the beaches have sections where – it's netted off so you can safely swim so you won't get stung by a jellyfish or you can't be <laughs> probably not a shark but you know what i'm saying like there's there's so much deadly stuff out there that they have to net off the ocean in sections so you can swim sort of safely which blows my mind a little bit so it just tells you how much you know how much there is out there that you could easily you know you know be in a lot of trouble if you went just even you know 10, 20 metres down the down the beach and, and didn't swim in their specially safety-netted areas that you, you could be in a bit of trouble. Yeah. You are not wanted there, basically. What That's what that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I will have another story here is that I have a uh, – my daughter is like my little protege in horror movies. I talk about her a lot, and I'm going to have her on in a couple of weeks. She wants to talk about her favorite horror movie ever, The Wicker Man. And so she is always – 
taking horror movies and she watches them with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend is a scuba diver and they watch every more, every horror movie ever made. And they're always talking about him. And the one movie her boyfriend will not watch is open water. He's oh, like, they, he's like, I never, ever, ever will watch that movie that will make me not want to scuba dive. Do not ever show me that movie. So I'm just saying this movie has some street cred among people who really are bothered by this stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Again, if you've got a fear of the water and and I, I like the way you even summed it up about I've always been of the opinion that, yeah, while the water seems like a fun idea and each of their own, if you want to go investigate some shipwreck off the coast or go and look at the coral and the, the fish, by all means. But I just I believe, like you just said, I, I don't think it's our place. And I think the other thing that really infuriates me here in Australia, and I don't know if it happens there in the States with you guys, but we do get a lot of shark attacks here in Australia, whether it's in Queensland, uh, South Australia, uh, Western Australia, have a lot, like people go and surf and people get either lose their life or lose a limb. And one of the outraged people then go, oh, we've got to get this shark, we've got to kill it, blah, 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 you know, almost like how dare that shark. And look, I don't want to see anyone lose their life, but at the end of the day, you're taking that risk by going into that ocean. It's their home. And if they think you're a seal or whatever they think you are and they take a, have a crack at you and and you get you either lose a limb or lose your life, that's bad luck. You, I don't – yeah, they get – trust me, Mario, they, there is a hysteria sometimes when someone sadly loses their life, they've been surfing, a shark gets them. And then all of a sudden there's this big, no, we've got to cull the sharks or we've got to, oh, we're going to hunt this shark as if it's like this one lone shark like Jaws or something. It's like, come on, people, like we're going into their territory and that's unfortunately the risk you, you take. And that's one thing that sort of has always frustrated me a little bit about Australians where we get on this high horse as if, as if it, the ocean's ours to, you know. Oh, yes. I'm sure America can stand toe-to-toe in hysteria. Since, uh, I don't know if you know, like when Jaws came out and the movie Jaws came out in America, where people in America were scared to take baths because they were worried they'd get eaten in the bathtub. Oh. <laughs> so, well, that is that. <laughs> maybe they're not as bright. But yeah, this, America can match you to blow for blow for hysteria over sharks, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, a couple of things I wanted to bring up about this movie before we get into it. Again, it's just a different type of scary and I, I hope we can delve into that as we go along, like why this type of scary is different. I don't know exactly how to explain it. Like people, I think, who have super imagin- imaginative minds are very susceptible to movies like this. And this one absolutely messes with me, just like the Blair Witch Project does. Um, the uh, Roger Ebert, I know in his review, said this movie got under his skin so much he actually had to go outside and walk around because he started to think it was real. <laughs> Which, that's pretty high praise for a horror movie, I gotta say. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, – I'll let you go into it further, but it definitely is a movie that is – does feel very uh, realistic. And, and the fact that they had real sharks in there, like you said before, there was no CGI. There was no special effects. Everything was done, I guess, legit is probably the best word. Um, but, yeah, it's um, – I think it's also the way it was shot. Like you said, it was done – I guess cheap, or you obviously didn't have the the a huge finance or uh, you know budget to do this. So the way it's sort of shot has a documentary feel to it. So that I think adds to the realism. Uh, but yeah, I'm interested to hear what you think. Okay. 
Well, some people are going to hate me for this next part, but I have to say this. One of my gifts as a storyteller is I'm very good at describing scary movies to people. And you're going to hate me, so I apologize for anybody who's very squeamish or is really susceptible to being creeped out by movies, but here we go. If you've seen the movie Jaws, there's the whole story with Quint and the USS Indianapolis, how all the people who delivered the bomb, they their ship gets torpedoed by the Japanese, and they end up in the water. You know which scene I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Cable? Yeah. 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 So Quint gives this very stirring speech about how they had to sit there in the water and wait for the sharks to take them overnight, which is one of the most horrific scenes I can think of in a movie. Just imagine that scene, but stretched over about 45 minutes in a movie where, that, where you're just watching that scene. And this is the part that I'm always, it's going to creep you out. And I, I apologize, but this is what I do. I'm selling this movie. If you get eaten by a shark, the reality of it is it's not like Jaws where the shark just walks up and swallows you or swims up and swallows you whole. The reality of it would be more like a hundred tiny paper cuts as they start nibbling you from below and you start bleeding out and then other fish come and start nibbling on you as well. That would be more the reality. So when you start realizing that, that's really what this movie is. And this movie isn't graphic. You don't see it. But it's very much implied that is how you would die in this scenario. A hundred tiny paper cuts over the series of an hour or so as the sharks finally decide to start chomping away at you. So that's the image I want to get in your head. Why this movie is very disturbing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the... Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's a great image. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I th- I, and I think the the other thing that would get under your skin, and especially with this movie, is this getting to that point where it's inevitable. We're not going to get saved, mm-hmm. and you can see the shark circling, and you've already, they've already taken, had a nibble. You know, there's blood in the water. You, you're pretty much. You screwed. So, <laughs> imagine knowing that's coming. Like, you'd be praying for a miracle, but the re- the reality being that, yeah. imagine that knowing it's coming and there's nothing you can do about it. Really, I mean, it's the inevitability. That's what gets you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, crazy. You know, you know it's coming, and you're hoping for a swift, swift death, but it's not going to be swift. It will be very slow, and you just don't know when it's coming. So. That's why this movie is, like I said, it's creepy, and it's realistic, and it could happen. And I swear to God, when you watch it, it feels like a snuff film. This feels like you're actually watching people dying, and it's just the creepiest thing. And again, I know some people, this isn't their cup of tea. I could not be more high on this movie. Yeah, now, um, I'd like to know, look, did you see this in the cinemas when it first came out? I indeed did. I was there on opening weekend. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. And and was, can you remember, like, did you, was there a big crowd there or like what was the – did you get a sense of – did people love it or <laughs> – It was billed as one of the scariest movies of all time and that will affect you. And I do remember that this movie and there was another movie that came out right around the same time called United 93 about the 9-11 attacks. Yeah, yeah. They came out within like a year of each other I think. And I remember the audience at the end of each one was kind of the same way, just kind of stunned. Like, I don't know if they liked the movie or they didn't like the movie, but everyone just kind of filtered out and they were quiet. And that's the, I, lo- I always remember those two movies having similar reactions at the end. And did you think, and there was the other thing, I, you know, when I was watching it last night and just taking notes, do you think when people first saw this that there would be the kind of happy ending? Because we see the search party go out and they're still, well, uh, Susan's still alive. Um, Daniel's pretty much gone, but... 
did you think there was going to be a happy ending or or not? Or I, yeah, I was going to say I suspected it was going to be happy, but just because I had been warned going into it, it was a very effective, disturbing movie. I thought they probably would have the balls to kill both of them. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I can't remember if I got spoiled or not, but I had a feeling they were going to you know, kill them off too. But then I thought, oh, you know, when we saw the search party and then we saw that there's a cut back to them and there was a cut back to the search party, I'm like, oh, she's going to be saved right at the last last minute or something like that. So I thought, oh, well, that's the sort of Hollywood like, oh, well, at least, you know, a, a bit like a horror movie, like it, one, there's that one survivor that can live to tell the story. And I sort of thought, oh, that's where they're going to go. And no, I, I love that they had the balls to just not do that as well. So. Yeah, and it's funny because the movie messes with you, and we'll get into this. There, again, this is a very simple movie. We're not going to be too intricate. But, like, the last 20 minutes of this movie are so excruciating if you've bought into the story and you care about the characters. And then the movie messes with you because they give you false hope. Oh, look, a buoy. Oh, look, they have candy. Oh, look, the rescue. But, no, that's just messing with you so they can finish off the characters. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so here we go. We're going to dive into this movie. That's a horrible word to use. Let's not say dive. Here. <laughs> We're going to jump into this movie, and all I will say is it's it's presented so mundanely. It's all, all shot on handheld home video, and it's like a perfectly normal day on vacation until suddenly it's not. <laughs> all right, you ready for this? Yep. Let's all right, it. here we go. So it's really just, again, it's like shot like the Blair Witch Project. It's on a handheld. It's a lo- feels like a home movie. It's like low-quality video. It doesn't feel like a movie. Like I said, it's snuff film. That's the one word I always use. But it's a couple, an American couple, Daniel and Susan. And uh, they're just on, in, in America, I believe, somewhere in their house, just getting ready for vacation and just doing all the typical vacation stuff like, you know, last couple phone calls, arranging last minute details, making sure they're all packed, just kind of hectic. Um, what were the real people's names? They weren't Daniel and Susan in real life, right? No, it was uh, Tom and Eileen uh, Lonigan. Okay. So, and were they American? I don't know their story. Yeah. Yeah, so that the think they might have been from Louisiana from memory. Um, let me just see. I've got a. Uh, they were both teachers. They were both teachers, and they were both delicious, apparently. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So so yeah. So they're just getting ready to go on vacation. And it's very mundane. They're just packing up, and this is like their first vacation they've had in a while. And they they fly out to some tropical country. Like in real life, it happened in Australia. Do you know where this is set? Uh, I don't know. They don't really say it, but I know it was filmed in the Bahamas. Okay, it looks like the Bahamas, yeah. So, so they get to the yeah, they get to the Bahamas, and they're just doing, going around doing usual beach stuff on vacation. You know, like sitting on the beach and drinking tropical drinks and drinking from a coconut, and you know, dancing, shopping, partying, eating, and you know, posing. There's one part where what they like pose with a big shark statue, take pictures with it, which is kind of ironic. What happens to them later? Yeah, I was, I was going to say that was the one thing I thought was great foreshadowing that there's a shot where, for someone that hasn't seen the movie, the shark is hanging upside down as if it had been caught and he's sort of putting his head in, in between its, uh, you know, in its mouth and, and taking photos that way, which I definitely, definitely great foreshadowing. Yeah, that's going to look real good when they dig up the uh, camera later and, and <laughs> expose all the photographs. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're on vacation and... One of the criticisms I've heard given towards this movie is that you don't really know these characters well. Like, I don't really know them. I don't know who they are. I don't care about them. 
But I would suspect, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Cable. I think that's probably an artistic choice by the director just to make them feel more like every man, like this could just be anybody. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. There's not a lot of build-up on who they are too much apart from, you know, there might be the relationship might be a little bit strained because they they both seem like they're workaholics when we, like you said before, when they're getting ready to go and there's this that look at each other like, oh, get off the phone kind of thing, we're on vacation. Uh, there's a part early when he's got the laptop open, he's checking email. So they're definitely both workaholics that need a vacation, need a break, get away from it, reconnect. Um, but apart from that, yeah, there's not a lot of uh, build-up or a lot of backstory to these two people. Do you think that makes the story weaker? Uh, n- not not necessarily, no. It did, didn't bother me. Um, like you said, I think it does make you, you know, you don't need to know too much about them. You just know they're hu- human people that get left out in the ocean. And then, like you said, like they could just be anyone. So... Um, you can sort of connect with just that human story, not necessarily having to know too much about them. And you're right. It, now that I think about it, now you've said it, it's probably it probably artistically was a choice to not tell too much of their story initially or get to know them too much because I guess that's irrelevant a bit. It's like you said, they could be just you could it could be you, it could be anyone. So um, they probably didn't want to build them up too much either. Yeah, I mean, they're not anonymous. We know their names, Daniel and, and Susan. But, yeah, to me, it feels even better because I think it's almost a sort of like existentialist in a way because at a certain point, they're just out in the water and all they are is garbage floating there. Like, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter. Their lives are meaningless to anything else in the world the minute they get out there and they're just shark food. So, to me, I kind of like you don't know them that well, but I know other people have argued that they have a hard time connecting with this movie. And again, that might be one of the reasons why some people might not really get really invested in this story. But I don't think it's a flaw, personally. I don't. I, and it's funny because you've only just brought it up and it's only just sort of really resonated with me. But I, I agree with you. I, I think sometimes the problem is you, we, they could have spent another, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes building these people up, telling their story so we really get a, a better sense of who they are. But if if they build them up and you don't connect with them, then mm-hmm. it, it probably doesn't – the movie probably doesn't pay off as well. I don't know. I mean, you can, I guess you can look at it. It's so subjective. You can look at it both ways. But I agree. I think you don't need to. You just know they're human. They, they're going to be in this situation, and it, it, it could be anyone. So it doesn't matter who really who they are if that makes sense. Yeah, it's funny, right before this podcast, like I was just mentioning on Facebook, I'm going to talk about this episode, this movie, and I have a friend named Anna who wrote in and said, you know what, I hated those characters so much that I found the movie very cathartic. I found it very enjoyable when they were killed. So maybe, I guess, again, your mileage may vary. I personally think it was a storytelling choice, and I think Cable's kind of on that same track as well. But again, I can't tell you how to think. That's just how I see this movie. Yeah, I mean, look. We, we know films are very subjective and we all like different things in, and ex- have different expectations of movies and how things can be done. And I'm sure we think we could all make some movies better, but that's just how it is. I mean, I, I like the way it is. I mean, you don't want to spend too much time. I think it's a good movie. It was goes for 79 minutes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think, oh, what did I write? I think it's 26 minutes in when they are officially, they come back out, out of the water and the boat's gone. So, it's the kind of movie you want to get to sort of pretty quick. Yeah, 
Okay, good. That's well said. I'm glad you brought that up. This movie's 79 minutes long. It's it's it moves very briskly. So again, if you want to take a chance on a new movie, this is one you will not have to invest too much time in. It's a very quick experience. Okay, so we've got Daniel and Susan on vacation, and they're in the Bahamas here, and they wake up at 8:30 on the morning of the fateful incident. And it's again, they're just getting ready for their big scuba diving trip. It's been mentioned that they have a 8:30 appointment, and they have to get up at 6:30, so they get dressed and they go out to the boat. And now, you you have been scuba diving or not? I forgot if you said you have. Uh yes. Okay, so uh, explain the whole setup here. We're on the boat, how they're all getting ready to go down, and all the dive instructions. Is this pretty realistic to how it would go in real life? Yeah, I believe so. From from memory, this is a long time ago, but uh, I I believe that's pretty much how things have been handled. Uh, and this is where the movie and the true story sort of definitely fall in line with each other. That the negligence from the charter group that was taken out in Australia was there was a miscommunication between uh, crew members and. Um, the, the pretty much the head count so which blows my mind now because I, I can't imagine that being done in this day and age either they're like <laughs> you know if you or me went out I'm, I'm pretty sure they'd have a log of everyone's name and once you're back they'd be checking your actual name off and making sure everyone's accounted for 100 percent. but to think that they just have a number and they just tick it off is not bizarre i can understand why that was a thing but it just kind of blows my mind, you know, thinking, you know, it's been 20 years since it's happened, uh, you know, since the true story and almost, you know, I guess, 20 minutes, 20 years since the uh, movie, to think that we were still doing things like that back then, um, sometimes it kind of blows my mind, but that, it also doesn't surprise me either. Okay, yeah, and that's, I want to I wanna be very uh, specific to how this happens here for people who have never seen this movie before, because this, it really creeps me out how realistic this feels in the movie, how something like this could actually happen. So I'll just give you a quick little summary here. They go to their boat, and they go out in a group of, I believe there's 20 people on the boat, plus the three dive masters. And they take them out into the middle of nowhere, out to the uh, some reef that they can dive down. It's a couple miles offshore. And these boat people you've seen, you can tell, have done this before. They do this every day. This is not a uh, like a new thing. If there's a ritual they follow. And their boat is called the, Ma the, uh, the Reef Explorer. And they're going to a place called the Magic Kingdom. That's the reef. And as they're going out there, he's explaining all the instructions. You will always dive with a buddy. And every time you come up to the surface, make a little symbol with your, your hand, an O, saying you're okay. And you pick all your personal belongings, put them in a little mesh bag, and put them under the seat in your boat so it's out of sight. And this is the part where they start asking. The people on the boat are like, are we going to see sharks out there? And, uh, and uh, what, is, what is the answer? What does the, the guide tell them? What kind of sharks will they see? I, I can't remember what he actually said, but I know he said, oh, you might see one or three. Yeah, non-aggressive. That's all it counts. There. Yes, non-aggressive. Yeah, non-aggressive. Yeah, yeah. didn't really say. Like, I think he reels off all the different sort of fish, but when it comes to shark, there's no mention of what type of sharks, but you're right, non-aggressive. They're not going to, yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah, the boat captain just kind of rolls his eyes because you get the sense people ask about sharks every day. And, of course, when I went on my Great Barrier Reef trip, we asked about sharks as well. And they all say the same thing. Yeah, you might see one or two, but sharks are very timid. They don't come up to you. They're, they're non-aggressive. And he goes, but it is open ocean. You're going to see sharks. There's not, no way around it. They happen to be out there. Just don't be scared of them. And so it's just uh, he even makes a joke. He says, uh, if you see a shark and you don't want to see a shark, just close your eyes. 
Yes. <laughs> I actually love that line, too. Yeah, it's a good line. So, again, the boat captain heard this before, and I know the filmmakers, you probably did a little research on this, the filmmakers were very specific that all the shark behaviors in this movie are very authentic and not movie-like, correct? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, so the sharks, they're not the big jaws sharks that are going around chasing people. They're very timid, and they really, all they do is pick up garbage in the ocean. They eat dead fish. So that's why later in the movie, in the movie when the people are stranded, the sharks are just circling them, very curious, trying to figure out who these people are. And they don't become aggressive until much later when there's actual blood in the water. So it was a very concerted effort. This is a movie made by scuba divers and shark lovers and shark experts to make it as realistic as possible. And it definitely is very realistic. All right, so now you can explain the details. How do they get stranded in the water? It's, you try to see if you can explain this to people, because it's, it's very well done, I think, how they do it, and I can see how this would happen in real life. Yeah, so uh, easiest way to explain it, I think, um, so there's supposed to be 20 divers on the boat, so one of the junior members of the crew writes down just 20 on a, a little, I guess he's got a pad and a clipboard, writes 20, and then as people are coming out of the water, he's just doing a little standard tick, 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 you know, count as people come out. The confusion happens when firstly, and this is one of, I think, maybe a slight, not plot hole, but a little bit of a mistake. I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but there's the obnoxious American <laughs> on board who has now, how forgot- dare how dare you assume he's american <laughs> yeah who okay maybe he's canadian uh but he he leaves his mask back at i guess at the hotel or somewhere else he's misplaced his mask so he can't go in the water because they don't have a spare so he pretty much has been out there taking his 40 mile trip out in a boat to not be able to dive so he has to stay on the boat another couple that have gone in the water the female of the group or the buddy, she has issues with her ears equalising and the equilibrium playing up, so she just wants to get out. So her and her partner get out, and they are counted as coming out, and that adds the total. So the American hasn't hopped in. Let's let's call him obnoxious guy. So obnoxious guy is counted as one. Then the two get out, and this crew member puts them down too, so three have returned to the boat, and then – the obnoxious guy wants to hop in, and he's pretty much telling, I think her name is Linda, the crew member, I'm going in. She's like, no, you have to go with the buddy. Then he speaks to the, one of the guys that's just hopped out. Do you want to go in with me? I want to go. We'll just go quick, blah, blah, blah. So the guy agrees, so they jump back in. So that hasn't been accounted for, that they've gone back into the water. Whether this crew member missed that or just forgot to take it off the little, I guess, his little count. And that's where the confusions happen because then when they get back out, they're counted again as another two, and then we find uh, Susan and Daniel, unfortunately, are not counted for, or I guess I had been counted for and are left behind. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What happens is two people are double counted. You go 20 in the water, and then three are back on the boat, and somebody makes three little tick marks, and then two on the boat go back into the water, and they don't cross off their tick marks that they've come back so when they come back out the guy's like oh two more people came out and all of a sudden they have 20 and the crew is like okay this was a 35 minute dive we have 20 people back on the boat time to go back to shore and they motor back to shore and poor daniel and susan who have been exploring a reef all on their own again even though they're in pairs they were allowed to explore on their own as long as they come back all of a sudden they're stranded 
They're like 40 miles off the coast in the most dangerous ecosystem ever for humans, and they have no recourse. And they come up, and they, the worst nightmare, again, that I can imagine any scuba diver would ever face 40 miles out at sea, they come up, and their boat is gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is scary. I mean, you can see, I think, two boats a long way in the distance either way, but, I mean, that's still a very scary proposition to come up and feel like I'm not even, you know, about, you know, we're not a little bit out of our area. Oh, there's the boat just over there. Okay, we're going to have to swim there or wave them down. Like the think that they're pretty much there by themselves is, is at the moment, I mean, it, it's scary, but, I mean, probably at that moment they're thinking, oh, well, there's, you know, they're coming back or there's something like that. I mean, it wouldn't have escalated that quickly, but, yeah, it definitely wouldn't be a great moment. <laughs> coming up to pretty much nothing. Yeah, and, and the movie plays it very fairly. Again, this is not a big cinematic movie. There's no music. There's no scary music. There's nothing, you know, giving away that they're in a horrible situation. The boat just leaves, and it's like watching a documentary. Then Daniel and Susan come up, and they're like, huh. And they're not scared at first. They're just annoyed. They're like, well, the boat must have drifted somewhere. And, like, it doesn't dawn on them how dire their situation is for quite a while. For now, they're just kind of bobbing up and down and drifting. And they're like, well, this is stupid. Where, like, I guess the boat got lost and it went over there. So they're trying to swim towards one of the boats. And, and yeah, I'd say uh, the first thing they do is they, what, they try to orient themselves. There's a coral underneath them. They try to make sure they're in the right place, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And then they start drifting. And then Daniel's like, well, you know, we, well, we'll try to stay in one place, but we won't be able to because the current is going to push us. And Susan's like, well... What's going to happen when the boat comes back and finds us? Like, we won't be in the same place. He's like, no, we'll do our best. And so they're not really panicked at first. They're just getting used to their new situation, being out here in the ocean, really not being able to do much. Yeah, it's um, – again, it's probably – I know I was watching this with my wife last night, and so she hadn't seen it before, even though I could have sworn we'd watched it before, but maybe it was a very new experience for her. Um but, yeah, she was like, oh, why wouldn't you just swim for a boat? I'm like, yeah, but I can understand their thinking was like, well, the boat will come back. They'll realize we're missing and they'll double back. Like, so it's safer to stay roughly where we were, mm -hmm. you know. And that makes logical sense to me as well. So, I mean, why swim off in this huge direction to a boat that might take you a few hours to swim to that might then move and then you're totally out of your, I guess, out of the zone of where you were dropped off originally. So... Absolutely, logically, uh, well, I mean, there's that <laughs> temptation to move somewhere else to get to safety. I mean, you, most I would think you, the safest thing is to stay where you are and hope somebody comes back. Yeah, I was going to say there's not really a false note, in my opinion, in this movie where a human does something that's not logical. Like, this is a how I think most people would handle this situation. And what happened is the, the wife, Susan's very panicky. She's like, well, what if we get stranded here? She goes, I don't like it. I'm cold. And Daniel is the, he's the shark expert. He has watched Shark Week on the Discovery <laughs> Channel and all these, all these documentaries about scuba diving and sharks. So he's the shark expert. He's in the know. And he starts explaining, well, you know, we got to stay here. This is how this works. They'll just come back and get us. And then at one point, Susan sees the first shark. And she's like, what's that? What's that? And he's like, oh, don't worry. Sharks are very passive. He's just he's just curious. He's sniffing us out. And I'm sure Daniel might be a little scared, but he's trying to pacify her because he knows a lot about shark behavior. Although he does. This is where he pulls out his knife, right? He's got a little knife. And he's like, you know, they're they're not dangerous, but I'll just have this knife on me just in case. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, to me, it's like the, 
you know, Mike Myers or, or uh, Jason Voorhees like stalking you with a big machete or something and you've got you just pull out this little spoon. It's like I, I, I'm sure I could do some damage, but it kind of looked a bit funny too. Like it's like what, what's really that going to do? But anyway, there, I'm I'm legally not allowed to make a crocodile Dundee. That's not a knife joke, right? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, you, you can, you can. All right, just making sure. <laughs> so, so he pulls out the knife, and they're just watching this one shark, just kind of, and they're not big sharks. He's just kind of circling around, looking at them. And this is where she says the line that taps into the fear that so many people have. And this is why, this is the line that I think separates the people that would rate this a 10-star scary movie or a one-star scary movie. It's where Susan says the line, I just can't stand not knowing what's under me. Yeah, I love that too. It's, oh. <laughs> it's it, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know how much in your lifetime you've been a beach person or gone to the sea too often but I always feel that like the further you go out when I was a kid swimming it didn't bother me so much necessarily what was on me but then you see a bit of a shadow and it's just seaweed but it's far <laughs> further down and you're just bobbling on and you're right I mean it's something you can't see what's beneath you really unless you put your I guess your head in the water and you might have some goggles to see a bit clear but yeah, essentially, there's something under there you don't know about, but there's absolutely that fear of the unknown. Yeah. And what's scarier, knowing what's under you or not knowing what's under you? That's the big mystery for me. And yeah, I, I remember true. that. Like, I'm from Seattle, and there's no sharks up in Seattle. We have, like, killer whales, like orcas, but they don't mess with people. They're, they're, they stay away from people. But I remember one time when I was a kid, I was my grandma would take me to this lake. Uh, I think it was probably an offshoot of Lake Washington, and... Uh, and I'm, I'm swimming in there. She'd always take us to go swimming there. One time I was backstroking, and I hit a fish. A dead fish ran right into my shoulders. And, oh, my God, I almost had a heart attack because a fish just swam into me. <laughs> and then I started to realize, if I just hit one fish, what about the 800 fish under me that I didn't hit? Yeah. And that was, like, the last time I ever wanted to swim anywhere with living creatures in it because I realized – the one that I know of is not the vast majority. It's those other ones I don't know of down there that are creeping me out. Yep. I hear you. I hear you. So that's, that's the, the gist of this movie, why I think this is a terrifying movie. If you have any fear of the water or any fear of the unknown deep water under you, and I have felt this before just being on ferry boats and stuff like that, just looking down and thinking, I wonder how many different creatures are down there right now that I don't even know about. That's what creeps me out about this movie. That, that line right there, I can't stand not knowing what's under me. And don't they still find new species of fish and sea creatures all the time? So, oh, yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah, it's, you're right. I mean, it's, you just don't know. You have no idea, and you don't want to know. In fact, I would say the single scariest shot in this movie is right at the very end, and I will say, I'll spoil it for a little bit, where you don't see a lot of sharks in this movie until the very end when it's just uh, Susan's looking around. She looks down underwater, and you just see all the sharks that have been under her waiting for her this entire movie. That's the creepy shot. I hate that shot. That haunts me. Mm. I know. Feeding on poor old Daniel. <laughs> yes. All right, so... 
So they're, they're stranded in the ocean, and they've met their first shark, and he's just curious. He's not a threat yet. And we cut back. There's lots of cuts back and forth to going back to the beach and just seeing people partying on the beach and having a normal vacation. And you see the boat pulling into shore and all the people coming out. And they still have not realized they've ditched two people out in the middle of the ocean. And they're not going to know until tomorrow. But uh, at this point, it's they're just bouncing back and forth between people having a perfectly happy vacation and then these people who are not having a good vacation. Yeah, absolutely. It's – um. It's amazing to think, I don't know if you want me to quickly jump in, but I'll just say that uh, in the movie they get it, – it comes to, you know, about that, you know, it's the next morning the the charter trip – well, the uh, captain realises the mistake and that there's two people out potentially still out there. Um, that wasn't noticed in Australia till I think the second day or at least 48 hours after they were left. Um, which is pretty scary to think too, but uh, yeah, it's crazy. It, it still blows my mind that, that that sort of stuff can happen, but yeah. Yeah, there, there's a couple creepy lines in this movie, that one about not knowing what's under you, and then Daniel will say in the next scene, you know, this type of thing is more common than you think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. This, this is where my daughter's boyfriend is very wise not wanting to watch this movie if you're a scuba diver. Yeah. And does, what does he reference there? Does he talk about is this something, a dive show on the History Channel or something like that? Or Yeah, something yeah. like that. He, yeah. Yeah, he, he watches all this History Channel. He's like, I've read about things like this before. This, you know, he's supposed to be reassuring his wife. He's like, you know, this happens all the time. People, people vanish every day. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so they're just bobbing around, and this is where they meet their first problem in the movie is that they're sitting there and they're just bored. Like, they don't know what to do. They're playing the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon game. And this is where she's like, ow, something bit me or stung me. What was that? And he's like, I don't know. I didn't feel anything. And she's like, ow, it really hurt. And this is where they look down. And, oh, the other fun thing to avoid in Australia, which you alluded to earlier, what are the other deadly things in the ocean in Australia? Jellyfish are a really big problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the jellyfish. As if the sharks weren't bad enough, now they've drifted into a nest of jellyfish. Which, again, I, I can't speak for the rest of uh, the planet, but I know a bit like we've got a lot of poisonous snakes on the continent of Australia. If you don't want to be on the continent and you want to get away from snakes, don't jump in the water either because we're pro- uh, jellyfish are almost like the snakes of the ocean for us as well because there's some really, really dangerous jellyfish out there. Okay, yeah, I was going to say that like, if I were to go in the ocean in Australia, it's not the sharks that I'm worried about. It's those stupid box jellyfish, the ones that you die in like five seconds. Yeah, so yeah, the jellyfish are bad enough. So she's been stung by a jellyfish, and this isn't a box jelly, but it's still you know, a regular Australian human-killing jellyfish. And she's not thrilled she's been stinging. It really hurts. But luckily, I think the salt water is kind of killing it a little bit, and she's you know, just trying to deal with this pain. So they swim away from the jellyfish. And again, this just, I, I can't get over it. There's no music in any of the scene. It's just them sitting out there trying to figure out what to do. And they're not doing stupid stuff. They're like trying to signal to boats and they're waving their arms. and They're just waiting, knowing that a boat's going to come back for them. But now it's becoming a problem because it's starting to get later in the day and they're realizing, you know, this could be a bigger problem than we realize. And this is where Susan asked the other haunting question. There's a lot of haunting quotes in this one. She says, what if they don't know we're missing? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good thought to have. Yeah, well, it's something that would cross your mind. It's just, uh, yeah, there'd be. A, I mean, you're out there doing nothing else apart from floating or bobbing along. So there's definitely there'd be a lot of things going through your mind. Uh, 
there's definitely a sequence, like I said, this this sequence of events in this moment are, are really really good uh, to build up that like oh my god they might not come, but also someone that's not that far away might not see us as well. So I did like the part where they, he got the goggles and he tried to use the sun to get the reflection to try and maybe get some sort of attention as well. But, yeah, it's definitely uh, a moment where I think that's when she starts to realise there's this is a big issue. And, and like I said, there's a sequence of events where they're both hungry, so they've got no food. There's that dehydration potentially creeping in. Um, and then there was a the mention of, did you drink any of the water? And she's like, just a little bit. Um, <laughs> but that's when I think yeah, the movie starts to turn a bit more that, oh, wow, or uh, at least for the characters that it's like, oh, this is now a real issue. Yeah, and, and we, we go through the start of the movie here. That we get, this is really the, the middle of the movie, but she's the pessimist. She's like, what happens? What, what if the sharks get us? What if they don't come back? And he's trying his best. He's the optimist. He's like, uh, they took a head count. They have our stuff. And, of course, there's the capitalist argument. We have their tanks. Of course they're going to come out and get their scuba tanks back. They're not going to let us keep their tanks. So he's trying his best, and she's just a mess at this point. She's starting to lose it. And I think at some point it's mentioned that she has taken Dramamine, some kind of motion sickness yes. still. Yeah. And now it's wearing off. So now not only is she trapped and cold, now she's getting motion sick and she throws up in the water. <laughs> yeah, that's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So – so he's trying his best to calm down his wife, and he gets her to drop her her uh, swim weights, her dive weights, so they'll be able to. So it's not so much pressure on her bob making her bob up and down as much, and uh, they kind of rest against each other. He's like, just lay down, lay back, you'll feel better. And they basically lay against each other, and they're kind of tied up in an embrace, and they fall asleep. And this is when things are going to go from bad to worse because they sleep for a while, and when they wake up, they have drifted apart. So now they're alone. Yeah, that was that's a creepy moment too. That's definitely that you know, they're not even close to each other as well. Explain the bump. The bump is what gets you. It's the first jump scare in the movie. Yeah. Uh yeah. She's sleeping and the shark bumps into her. Yeah. Yeah, and does that sort of happen to Daniel too? Does something hit him as well that sort of wakes him up or does he uh... I think um, I think he either gets bumped or he hears her screaming. But yeah, they're both yeah. resting on their back and sleeping, and all of a sudden she's bumped awake because something has taken an exploratory bite out of her leg, which is not what you want to happen when you're in the ocean. Yep, absolutely not. <laughs> so now they're in the ocean, and one of these gentle, curious sharks has just decided to take a little nibble on her leg. And again, he's not trying to kill her. He just wants to know what the hell is this thing, but. The downside of that is now she is bleeding in the ocean, which is definitely not where you want to be. No, that's the last, last thing ever. Yeah, so so they swim back close to each other. She sees him, and they swim back, and now she's panicking. Something has bit me. Something is, has uh, you know chewed on me, and she won't look down. She does not want to look down and see what it is, but this is the other, again, so many haunting little quotes. She's like, something's pecking at it. Something's tapping at it. Yeah, I mean, what was your? What do you think it was? I thought those were sharks. I thought that was a shark, but yeah. What? So what is like a little explorer fish or something? Yeah, I guess so. It's um, yeah, just just having a look, having a look. And I mean, obviously, there's something whether the blood or the flesh. I'm not too sure what, what it was attracted to, but uh, there was more, three or four of them just sort of having a look. Yeah, what is it? He says it's a cleaner fish, I believe. Oh, okay, cool. yeah. Yeah, 
They just come along and they peck at open wounds in the ocean and kind of clean them out. So that's what's happening. No, you know, no problem. Just a little cleaner fish exploring your wound. But I'm sure there won't be any other sharks. Although, I guess this is the part where I have to point out that the lead actress in this movie was apparently terrified of sharks. So yeah. I don't know why she chose to be in this movie, but she was. Yeah, so um, yeah, a bit of the background like on that, that apparently uh, I think his real name was Daniel anyway. Um, obviously the other actor, he always would have to hop into the water first before she hopped in um, just, just for a bit more peace of mind because she definitely had a fear of being there with the sharks. Yeah, which which is very odd to star in a movie where you will be trapped with sharks the entire movie. Yeah, exactly. And like Cable said, this were these were real sharks. These were I have it written in my notes here. These were Caribbean reef sharks, and they got wranglers to you know put them around the actors and make sure there were always sharks around them. And they filmed this. This was filmed over a long period of time, right? Yes, I believe it was. Yeah, like two years or something like that. I realized, so I didn't know it was probably that that long, but um, I definitely I think there's there's certain parts of the movie that I feel like they there's enough you can sort of see they look a little bit different in parts, but yeah, uh, it, does, it doesn't really surprise me. I didn't know it was that long though. I could be wrong, but I know it was at least a year, probably more. And yeah, they would just film on weekends. And they had a little crew of like three people, and basically go they go out in the water around these harmless Caribbean reef sharks. And they just throw a bunch of tuna into the water. And the wranglers were like, you know, if the sharks are eating the tuna, they don't care about the people. And so, yeah, and so apparently they never had any issues with the sharks. The actors never did the entire time. But that's how they got realistic shark behavior and real sharks around them. Is they're just tossing them tuna off to the side. And that's the actors are basically told, react to these. Just react to what's going on and we'll film it. <laughs> And again, that's very Blair Witch. That's how the Blair Witch Project was filmed, too, that the actors would be put in a tent, and the filmmakers would just come up and start hitting the tent with sticks, and they'd say, react to this, and they'd film the reaction. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so the actors are now, or the, the Daniel and Susan are now kind of screwed. They're getting nibbled on, and then Daniel has the absolute worst thing you want to happen. He gets a leg cramp. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. I leg cramps when you're swimming are nasty. I would not want to get one 40 miles out from shore. That's uh, he's he's in excruciating pain all of a sudden. And then that's pretty much leads into his sort of I guess breakdown. Like he starts yelling and and that's again another flip where he was like the cool, calm, collected, trying to remain positive, keep her, keep Susan sort of in check and and make her still feel good and. You know, keep the morale up, and then all of a sudden he's just like at breaking point and and really flips out, doesn't he? Uh, but to the point where even Susan's almost like, mate, yeah, you're like having, you're chilling out, like you, you sound like a two year old having a tantrum kind of thing. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, they flip roles very definitive, and again, there's only 20 minutes left in the movie. This is a quick movie, and now he's got a cramp, and now he's panicking, and this is where and the aggressive shark starts showing up. And this is where there's some great quotes here. She's like, what kind are they? And he's like, big ones. <laughs> and she's like, are they the bad kind? And he's like, I don't know. She's like, you watch the Shark Network. You know what those are. Tell me what those are. And then again, the other line that just haunts me, these these quotes. I don't know what's worse, seeing them or not seeing them. Because you know they're under you. Yeah. And like you said, Daniel starts yelling and screaming and having a little panic attack. And what's his little rant here? He's like, 
We paid for this. That's the best thing about this. He's all sarcastic. We paid to do this. We gave them money to strand them out here. Those assholes. I think that he, he even says we paid them to be shark bait or something like that as well. Yes. <laughs> and now, now he's pissed and she has resigned. You can see it on her face. She does a very good job. The actress, I believe her name is what? Blanchard Ryan. Is that her name? Yes. Correct. She has resigned to death at this point. You can see it in her eyes the entire time. And this is where I just wrote in my notes. The last 20 minutes of this movie is just excruciating because they're resigned to death. And it's just a matter of when. From what angle, which shark, and when. And you just got to sit there and wait for it. That's terrifying to me. Yeah, I agree. And and I think even in that time, we, I think they, they see another ship when obviously they get no luck with that. And then they see the... The, I guess the ocean market or the buoy or buoy, well, we call them boys here in Australia, but uh, the buoy. And, yeah, but he's sort of had this breakdown and, and like I said, we flip the roles and now she's become the sort of calm one and, and like you said, resigned, maybe resigned to their position and being a bit more realistic and it's like there's no point, you know, ranting and raving, it's not going to help. And then they have that moment where, and this is the one thing I love about this movie, and I don't, I'm, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm sure you'd be sort of on the same. I'm not a psychologist, but I feel like a lot of the emotion these two people show across the course of their, their day in the water is probably fairly realistic in that I think people would go through these different emotions. So, of course, he rants and raves, and then there's this almost blame game about their position and why they're there kind of arguing and then she does the whole well i'd rather have gone skiing and just this almost like yeah again attacking each other for that five or ten minutes and then again there's a flip where obviously there's some time gone but then it's just, she just says i love you yeah i i again i like that the the psychology of it as well that you know you're gonna have all these emotions when all these different things start happening and then like you said the realization that we might not get saved we might die here I think that's that's what works for me, and that's why I think this is a good movie. So, um, yeah, I just think some of those those definitely the uh, emotional um, interactions definitely change a fair bit. But um, I I feel like that would be realistic to something that might actually happen. Yeah, it's like we get to see them go through the stages of grief. Yes, you get to watch the entire cycle of grief from anger to you know you know reluctance or whatever I forget what they are, but the end one is acceptance. You've accepted your fate, you're going to die here, and you just got to deal with it. And that's, again, just absolutely terrifying to me. I don't know how why people don't get terrified by some of the scenes in this movie. They're absolutely so affecting to me, and like Roger Ebert said the same thing. It's like, this, is, this movie's a little too much even for me, is what he said. And again, there's not any gore or anything in this movie. It's just all psychological. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's definitely, uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely a psychological movie for sure. So you got the shark circling under them, and then there's a nice touch. Now the birds start circling over them. Yeah. <laughs> and when the birds start circling over you, you know shit's about to get real. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because uh, I said that to my wife last night. I go, oh, I, it's a saying I use all the time, but I said, oh, the vultures are circling. And she's like, will the vultures get them? And I'm like, they're not vultures. <laughs> yeah, seagulls. The seagulls are opportunistic feeders, and they will get the scraps. They know this. Yeah. I just had to laugh. I'm like, oh, my God, it's a figure of speech. But, yeah, I can understand. I probably did confuse her a little bit. But Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's when you realize, again, the reality of the situation. These people are food. There's no other purpose for them to exist on the planet right now. They are food. 
It just matters. It just depends on which animal is going to eat the most of them. It's horrible. <laughs> Although I will say here, this movie is shot very cheaply. It's all on handheld. It's just a very small crew. There's one shot I wish this movie would have had, and it's right here where they're just bobbing up and down in the ocean, and you're, they're just the filmmakers are trying to show you how hopeless their situation is. I wish they had been able to zoom up and take like a drone shot. Yeah. Where you'd see this big, vast ocean and them just two tiny little specks in it. And I think um, in my Titanic podcast, I mentioned that's the shot that I loved in Titanic, where they zoom way back and you see how hopeless this little boat is in the middle of nowhere. And I wish they would have had the money for that in this movie. In this movie, it would have been a nice little touch. Well, it's something they definitely would do if they were filming it today. But yeah, you're right. I mean, well, drones definitely weren't even really a thing back then, I guess, unless it was military probably but uh yeah it's something that i, I absolutely agree it, to show the vastness like uh, the one great thing about the movie i feel like you can't see land either yes <laughs> which is a, a pretty big thing because i always feel like when sometimes when you do have those i guess experiences you normally can see land or some sort of land a fair way in the distance, mind you, but you can still see it. But the fact that you can never see it ever isn't—it just shows how far away they are and and how hopeless their situation is. Yeah, although I think they only filmed it like a, a little bit offshore. Like if you were if you were to pan to the left, you'd see the beach. Right. And so it's really it's all just filmmaking. But yeah, it's even at the end of Jaws when uh, when uh, Brody and Hooper have survived the attack and they're swimming back to shore. I'm even scared then because there's no land in sight. It's just them out in the middle of nowhere. It's like there's yeah. no shark, and I still think this is scary. So, yeah, it's just something psychological about not seeing land. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, there's an uh, inside joke in this movie. I don't know if you know about this one. At one point later in the movie, the uh, this is a Jaws inside joke in this movie. At one point later in the movie, they find the ID cards of the two missing divers. Yeah. And their last names are uh, Watkins and Kintner. Do you know oh, that wow. joke? Yeah, no. in in the movie Jaws, the girl that gets eaten at the start of the movie is Chrissy Watkins, and the little boy who gets eaten on the raft is Alex Kintner. Yeah. So they've given them Susan and Daniel their last names. So it's a little homage to Jaws you might catch. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. Well, I just learned something new uh, when you said that. I the Kintner when I saw it last night, I actually thought that rings a bell, but I wouldn't have picked up on the Watkins. Yeah, that one's more obscure. I didn't know that. I had to read that, so I can't I can't take full credit. Okay, so here's the end of the movie, and again, it's just excruciating, just waiting for these paper cuts to start appearing on your leg. Just horrifying. I cannot say enough about how, how tense this movie is if you're susceptible to movies yeah. like this. But can, I, can I just say that the one thing that, uh, like, I guess the, the situation would terrify the fuck out of me anyway, but the one thing that really hits me is the fact that they've been out there all day, and then you start to see the sunset. Yes. And, and and the fact that it's going to be night and dark, and apart from being cold, and I think there's a thunderstorm that starts to happen, but just to be that, can you imagine being in that situation and, and darkness and then it starts happening, like you said, the paper cuts come like, I don't know, I, uh, yeah, that, that, that would be <laughs> scary as hell as well. Like it just apart from it being, you know, anyway, it's, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if most people have really been in truly dark situations before. Like, I have been out in summer camp, and, like, we go to summer camp in Seattle, and they take us out to the woods. There's a lot of trees in Seattle. And, like, you're out in the woods in night, at nighttime. That is a level of dark most humans have never seen before. 
that you can't even see the stars and there's not even a glow of the city nearby. Like that freaked me out as a kid once I realized how dark it really is out in the woods at night. And now imagine being in this one where they're out in the water floating around at night and there's no sun. There's nothing. Yeah, there's this. The, when the sun goes down, I'm like, oh, my God, like, I don't I don't really want to watch this at this point. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so here it is. We're going to finish them off. This is the end of the movie here. Unfortunately, our, our heroes will not have a happy ending where they do get a little a little uh, false hope, though. They see a buoy, like Cable said. They, they start swimming towards this buoy, and Susan realizes, you know, I have some candy. I stashed some candy in my wetsuit earlier today just in case I'd have something to chew on out here. And she's like, oh, he's like, oh, cool. So they start having the candy, and they're all excited. They're like, you know, we're going to get through this. We're gonna, just think of the stories we'll have to tell people. It'll be so exciting. And so they're swimming towards the buoy. And this, of course, is where all hope is lost, where Daniel finally gets the bite underneath him. A big shark rams into him, takes a huge chunk out of his leg. We do not see it, mercifully. There's no blood, really. But all of a sudden, he has been bitten. He's in tremendous amount of pain. And even more ominously, they are now surrounded by a giant cloud of red blood. <laughs> So anyway, it's pretty much over now. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, yeah, the pool of blood there, absolutely. That's when you know it's it's not that it's not real, but uh, you, you know they're in a hell of strife. And if you think it's going to be a happy ending, you're probably going to be sadly mistaken because he starts panicking. I actually like her in this scene too, that she sort of tries to keep him calm and she puts the belt across the, the wound to at least, um, I guess, stem the bleeding a little bit. A little bit, but, I mean, the damage is done. There's a lot of blood in that water. And again, yeah, she becomes the competent one. He becomes the panicky one. And then we immediately cut through that scene of him panicking and has a tourniquet on his leg that she has tied. Now comes the night scene where the sun goes down. And like I said, oh, my God, if you're susceptible to nightmare fuel movie, just imagine this scenario. We're out, these sharks circling and poking you in the night. And although the filmmakers do give you a little thunderstorm, you get some thunder off in the distance. So every so often the... The sky is illuminated, but yeah, they they make it through the night, and I will say mercifully, the filmmakers don't linger on this scene too long. They they kind of zip through the night because they know the audience wouldn't be able to handle it. Yeah, and did you, did you think at the time they were going to make it through? No, you're done. Sharks feed at night. They feed in the dark. You're you're dead. Yeah, that that that's probably sort of one of my only criticisms. A little bit of the film, I sort of thought, well, I think they're. They've been out there for so long. Like you said, the blood's in the water, the sharks, the curiosity's there, but like you said, they feed at night. And that was what I had in the back of my mind too. So I was kind of like, eh, I think they're going to be gone by morning. And But, yeah, they somehow get to sunrise. If it makes you feel better, I will say the people who – the real-life story, this is probably where they died if you like that story better. Yeah. Wow. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, so they make it to the night somehow, and the next morning they just look like hell. The poor girl is just shivering, and you can know she's been through hell of eight hours of darkness, maybe more, I don't know. But uh, the guy sadly died. Daniel has bled to death during the night. And I will say, Cable, that's the one great irony in this movie. Nobody is actually eaten alive by sharks at any point. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he bleeds to death. I mean, he is bitten, but then he bleeds out and he dies I mean, theoretically, peacefully during the night. But the next morning I wake up, he's a corpse floating next to her. She looks like hell. She's been through hell all night with this. You know, this is, I, again, I hate to do put these images into people's heads. You know the sharks were feeding on his legs during the night, and she, you know she felt that. 
So just want to put that image in your head for someone who had a very bad night. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This is what I do. I provide nightmare fuel. And that's a great, a great thing to put in someone's head. There you go. I, I'm trying to make sure everyone is bothered by this movie like I am. So anyway, the next morning, the harbor master has discovered that two people went out last night and didn't come back. And again, this isn't true. And you said in real life it took two days. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in Australia you have the extra. You cross the the timeline, the time zones. Maybe that's how the extra date comes in. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, so the dive master has realized he comes across their personal belongings on the boat. They've been stashed under the seat, and he sees their IDs. This is where you see their last names are Watkins and Kintner. And he's like, uh-oh, this could be a, a lawsuit. We have rich Americans that just got stranded through our negligence. That's not good. So they send out a whole search party, and this is where you said, Cable, you thought there was going to be a happy ending because the boat goes out and a helicopter and a seaplane, and they send out all the troops to go rescue them. But unfortunately, she's drifted, so they have no idea where she is. Yeah. So I will let you do the uh, <laughs> the grand finale here. A lot of people wonder what happens in the ending here. There's a couple. They don't really spell out exactly what happens. What's your interpretation of the ending here, where Susan's just all by herself? And what, ha what happens? She lets her husband's body go? Well, yeah. So she takes Daniel's sort of weights and he's... he's uh, tank off and sort of push, almost pushes him away, like lets him float away. Um, and then, well, you know, maybe he's about maybe five, ten meters away. And then we see the sharks really start to circle. We see the fins, and they sort of, you can see his body sort of bobbing up and down as as the sharks sort of start attacking it. And then we get to a point where, which I I think is still a really interesting thought sort of provoking uh, ending but she sort of has a moment where she sort of dips under the water and sees yes I like there's a lot of like the shot that you don't like there's a lot of sharks there and then i think did she strip all her stuff off as well and then she just all of a sudden just dives under and that's it that's the end of the movie and that kind of i don't know what were your feelings because i i still feel like that sort of shocked me i sort of felt like like that's definitely like she's just given up and she knows she's done for, but then again, you sort of just never know. Like, could she have tried to hang on a little bit longer? You just never know. Like, it's the next morning. Will the next charter come out? Could someone pass? I don't know. It was like, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, Night of the Living Dead ending. Are you familiar with Night of the Living Dead? Oh, which one? <laughs> the first one, the original, 1968. Uh, no, nah, you go to tell me. Okay, there's this, uh, the one black guy survives the entire night. He fights off the zombies, and he makes it to the end, and he, he survives. And he goes out to the cabin at the door at the, for the next morning, and he's survived the night. He is the survivor, and the hunters that are killing zombies think he's a zombie, and they shoot him, so he dies. <laughs> it's a very horrible ending, and so this movie kind of does the same type of thing. The search party is all coming out to get her, and they're going to find her eventually, but she kills herself before they can get there. She doesn't know there's a search party. And like, yeah, she, uh, like Cable said, the shot that really bothers me, again, for every one shark you see, there's about 15 you don't see, where right before she dies, she's let her husband's body drift away, and she just peeks her head underwater, just because she finally wants to see, and she probably did not want to see the, what, 45 sharks circling her underneath, <laughs> she's like, oh, screw this, and so she decides, and again, it's, 
it's kind of ambiguous in the movie what happens. Does she get pulled down? But no, she pulls off her dive weights, and she's like, peace out, and she just drops underwater and kills herself and drowns on purpose because she'd rather die that way than be eaten slowly like her husband. So it's a very sad Night of the Living Dead-esque ending where the search party's out there, but they're never going to find her because she's dead. Yeah, and then that's... It. That's it. That's the whole That's movie. It. That's it. Well, again, like like I said, in 2003 in the theater, people just streaming out of this movie just in stunned silence as I'm watching them. I'm like, I don't know if they liked it or didn't like it. I'm not sure that's a movie you're supposed to like, but they went through an experience. Yeah, uh, I guess the last, the, I guess the credit sequence, like you said before, they they catch a shark or the, you know, the, the local fishermen have a shark. They're gutting it, cutting its fins off and getting it prepared for, I guess, market. And then the guts gets ripped out and he's pulling stuff out. And he, they come across uh, Daniel's yellow sort of uh, camera, mm-hmm. water camera. So, And that's that little, like, oh, wow. Um, but, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's the movie done and dusted. That's it, yeah. It's a, I, I wouldn't call it a horror movie, but it's definitely a suspense movie and it's, you know, they went through these the found footage movies, the people trapped in mundane situations where something horrible happens to them. There's another one. Did you see the – I think it's called Frozen or something with the people trapped on the ski lift. No, no. no I've heard of a movie called Frozen, but not that one. Yeah, that's a different one. There's There was a movie very similar to this where these teenagers are going up uh, skiing and they're trying to get the last ski run of the season so they go up on the ski lift and the ski lift operator forgets that they're on there and he shuts it down and so they're trapped up there and they're going to be up on a ski lift for the entire winter and it's very similar to this where they're like well we got to get down we're going to freeze to death but down on the ground running around are a bunch of wolves who come out and feed during at night so now it's do you want to freeze to death or do you want to be eaten by wolves and it's a very similar movie to this one I think I'd rather freeze to death. <laughs> yeah, that, but that's the same type of movie, and these were kind of all the rage in the 2000s. They love these alternative-type horror movies. And again, Open Water is not one that everyone loves, but I would put it about the highest on my list I possibly could for movies that I see and then I remember. And again, like I said, Haunted House movies, I think anybody could do those. There's no resonance to them. There's no artistry. It's just jump scare and then you're done. If you can make a movie like this, if you can pull off open water and create phobias in people that they will never, ever go scuba diving or in deep water again, to me, that is a successful horror movie. So, again, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I could not be more in love with this movie just for what they were able to pull off. Just really just with a handheld footage, some tuna and a bunch of scuba divers, and that's it. They just made a movie out of it. Absolutely. I I give them a lot of credit for what they put together. Definitely... They definitely did a, a fantastic job in, like you said, like I didn't even think about how – I knew it was low budget. I know that yeah, it was very handheld. And I, I don't know what you watched it on last night, but the version I've got – I've actually got it on Blu-ray. And the version, you know, once you see it on, a, I guess, a big screen. Like when I saw it at the cinemas, I didn't think too much about the low quality, but definitely when you watch it on a, a newer version TV that you would have in the 2019 – sort of scenario with uh, Blu-ray definitely does look it, – it's not as crisp as, as a, you know, a big blockbuster these days or, or any movie for that matter really. But um, I think it adds to the documentary feel to it. So, yeah, but what they were able to achieve, like I said, low budget, yeah, spending plenty of time out there in the water and, and getting the, the job done, um, I have to commend them. 
Yeah, and like you said, just Blu-ray and, and like because it's shot on handheld, it feels like you're right there with them. Like there's not a uh, movie-like quality where it feels like you're watching a movie. Like the movie, the way it's shot, it feels like you're right there bobbing with them, and it's very claustrophobic. And it's like I said, just a so many little unnerving little ways to turn the screw on you as an audience, just to get under your skin. Uh, you just mentioned about the bobbing in the water. It, did was that something that you remember? People had issues with the whole, I guess, the motion of the movie, like. Just watching it, like, cause you know how we hear movies that sort of make people physically ill because of the way they're shot. Um, I think even Blair Witch had issues with people maybe getting nauseous and stuff like that. Was it? I, I can't remember. I I've never suffered from watching this movie, so I've I've never been in those shoes. So I and I can't remember anyone ever telling me that they had issues with it. But there definitely are moments where there's a lot of bobbing and the movement of the water, and I hadn't really thought about it before, but. Can you remember anyone having issues with or have you heard of issues arising from people watching this before? I've never personally heard of that. This is the first time. Like I know Blair Witch did have that, but the Blair Witch was also people running through the woods with a camera. So I could see why that would have a little more motion sick. I know that was a big deal for people. It wasn't for me. I never get motion sick, but it was Blair Witch. This one, I've never heard that specific criticism, and it's only because I don't think the camera moves that much. Yeah. Yeah, when I hear people, there's a lot of criticism of this movie. Again, either love it or hate it. There's almost nothing in the middle. The criticism I hear is that, A, people thought it was going to be like Jaws. They went in expecting this big budget shark movie, and it's not that at all. B, they just don't think it's scary because nothing happens. It's all psychological and built up in your head, and there's not a lot of buildup or gross you know, attack scenes. And then the other one is that people just don't like the characters. I find them unlikable, so I don't care what happens to them. And then I hear some people just say, I just hate this movie. Like they think it's overhyped. They don't get it. So those are the four criticisms. I've never heard the motion sickness one, though. Okay. But again, that's it. That's uh, Open Water. Very simple movie. And again, one of the the highest praises I can give to a movie, and this will come up when I do my podcast on Halloween. We're doing one on Halloween in a couple weeks. That I love when someone makes something out of nothing. Like Halloween, it's just people walking around Pasadena, and they had a Halloween mask, and they added some soundtrack to it, and that's it. That's that's Halloween. There's nothing in that movie that's even remotely intricate, but it's so well done and crafted, they made something out of nothing and made hundreds of millions of dollars out of nothing. It's really just a soundtrack that sold that movie, and I've always said, watch Halloween without the soundtrack, and it's not scary at all. It only works because of the music. Yeah. And that yeah, that's the praise I would give to Open Water. Someone made something out of nothing. There's nothing behind this movie, and they made a movie that is that affecting to a lot of people. So I, I tip my cap. I love this movie with all of my heart. Uh, that's good. I, I'm, I'm with you, Mario. I, I really enjoy this movie. It's not one that I watch often. I will say that. It's not one that I just put on in the background all the time, but it's definitely um, one that I have a great appreciation for. And I, look, again, I said earlier, like, cinema is such a subjective thing and you know there's some movies that you've um recommended that i've really liked but then again the next person's not necessarily going to like it or if they're not into comedies it you know won't resonate with them and this this is another one of those movies i always feel like you might not like it but sometimes i think you've got to have a respect for like you're saying like so low budget what they were able to achieve so from that point of view i think that sometimes annoys me when people are, oh, it's, it's crap or what, it's this and that. It's like, well, think about, you know, they, like you said, they filmed it on weekends and over a, a course of, you know, how many years and 
um, you know, three crew. Like, I mean, for what they did, you might not like the movie, but have a little bit of respect for what they were able to achieve. Um, that's what annoys me sometimes with um, when people criticise movies like this. I, ta- I actually take it personally, even though I wasn't involved, because I feel like they've tried to do, like you said, make something out of nothing. They've had a go at it. They've had no one to really, in a way, support them. They haven't got, you know, you know, 20th Century Fox or Universal giving them $100 million. They're doing it probably on their own money, and they've been able to put out a really, really good movie, at least psychologically um, a really well-thought-out movie. And, and then when people slag it off, I, I always take offence to that when people just – Especially when they talk about, um, you know, the low budget or whatever, or whatever they critique on, I, it, it frustrates me a little bit. But yeah, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I, it's it's not a movie I recommend to everybody, and that's the thing. I'm not entirely sure this is a great movie, but like you said, the artistry. Like, I just appreciate the artistry that somebody did this out of nothing. So that's what I would say. And again, it's not, like you said, it's not a movie I watch every day. I'm not going to watch this movie again for like five years because it's a little too intense for me. It's not one I necessarily enjoy, but I do appreciate that it exists. And again, the artistry, and I don't know, is it a great movie? I don't know. I guess that's, your mileage may vary, but it's one that I think everyone should know about. So I'm hoping maybe a couple people who have never even heard of this movie and like horror movies, just seek it out and see what I'm, see what we're talking about here. Just how, how different it is. This was kind of the first of its kind. I mean, it's very Blair Witchy in a way, but it's it's a lot even it's more minimalist even than Blair Witch to be honest. Do you do you think this success or the people that like this movie or does the way you perceive it change because you know it's a true or was based on a true story? It doesn't affect me at all. I would have liked it either way. But yeah. knowing it's a true story, I think, adds some uh, legitimacy to the movie. Like, you think people just made up this scenario for a movie, but, like, this could happen. It's very, it's presented very realistically. So I think it, it helps, but it, I would have liked the movie either way. I, I, I agree. I, I still like the movie, but I, it was definitely something I sought out when, obviously, I heard it was being made and there was obviously the controversy with what actually happened. So, um are you surprised they made a movie like this so sort of quickly after the the true story or the real events? I mean, it wasn't that quickly. It's still a couple yeah. years. Like they started yeah. it probably 2001, 2002, and they got the funding, and it took them forever to make it. I'm. You could make the argument it was perhaps a little distasteful to make a movie that quickly because it, they don't try to hide that it's based on the real story. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, they obviously fictionalized the names, and it's a different location. And I guess they change it enough, but it's so so similar. If you do, if anyone does listen to this podcast and and wants to find out a little bit more, like it's not hard to find the true story of Open Water on, online and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I mean, it definitely would have been probably distasteful if they kept the real names and it was in Australia and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I, I wonder if they would ever do a movie like almost like a remake that is actually based on the the true events but uh i i think this was the mindset we better make this movie or somebody else will beat us to it <laughs> although that does bring up a, a a question or not a question but a fact here they made two sequels to this movie yes and i will say i've never seen them i'm not going to go see them i've heard they are in name only they don't have anything to do with this movie they just wanted to do another shark movie so have you, have you seen them 
No, so the Blu-ray I've actually got of Open Water actually comes as a double feature. So Open Water 2 is on that disc as well. I've never watched it. Um, a bit like you, I'm not always a sequel person, so it's not something that being, I've you know, been desperate to watch. I will sit down one day and watch it. It's got, like you said, it's almost in name only. It's got no connection to the first movie. It's almost like a different... I guess a different universe, I guess movie universe. And then the, the third one again is it's funny because here in Australia, I don't think it's even called open water three. It's maybe called cage dive or something like that. And then there was a, see, I'm into shark movies as well. So I don't know if you knew that, but uh, there was a spate of movies. Uh, Mandy Moore's in one of them, um, which is actually not a bad movie called 40, 47 meters down where the cage actually, um, comes away from the boat, uh, which is another scary, scary situation to be in, being that sort of trapped and isolated. But um, I think I don't know if the open water people decided to do another one, which is again similar to that, and that's um, the third one. But I definitely here in Australia, it's not called open water three. I think it's just called cage dive. Okay, so that's the the open water expanded universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah again again just the to go back to the original point this movie was a big hit it made 55 million dollars on nothing so that cannot be taken you mean you can't take that away from it that there were all these other sequels and stuff this movie was a big deal at the time and then it was suddenly just forgotten like nobody talked about it forever in fact i wrote a website a little review of it on my website back in 2012 and even back then people were like wow i haven't heard of this movie in years and that was seven years ago so no, well, it's definitely a movie that has sort of disappeared off the radar. Like, there, there are those movies. There's movies that stay front of mind and get pop-culturally referenced all the time, and then there's, like, those other movies, like, that you have already done at Staff Picks that are sort of classics at the time or, or well-received that sort of just disappear a little bit and people will sort of forget about, and they're the kind of movies that if we still had video stores that would probably be, you know, right at the back, sort of hidden away that you know, can't even see the face of the the uh you know the the cover or anything like that anymore like it was, they just wouldn't be front of mind so it's kind of sad sometimes movies like that sort of fade away but thankfully we've got yourself to do a podcast staff picks to make sure these movies get a bit more love and get noticed yep and you i'll let you plug your podcast in a second but before i sign off on this one i just want to say one last thing that um when the movie jaws came out in 1975 it was very popular, obviously, but it led to a lot of misconceptions about sharks and the way sharks behave in the wild to the point that its author, Peter Benchley, later you know, disavowed this, his novel and the movie saying, I cannot believe how many sharks I have killed over the years just from people thinking they're these scary, terrible creatures. This movie, I do have to point out, was made by shark experts, by scuba diving experts, with their express intent being... I want to have the most realistic shark behavior ever in a movie. So every single behavior in this movie is very scientifically proven to the way sharks will explore and feed on things that are dead out in the ocean. So I just wanted to throw that out one more time. This movie was made with love towards sharks wanting to kind of tell their story that, yes, they're terrifying and they kill you, but they're not these scary monsters that walk around eating anything they find. They're just scavengers. They just clean up dead stuff in the ocean. That's all they do. So I just want to make sure that's been noted before we sign off here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they, the, make, the makers should be very proud of themselves for what they were able to put together. And like you said, they did justice to the shark as well and, and the, some of the footage they got of the sharks. Well, even any of the wildlife they got 
in the water. They, for what they had to do, uh, what they had and the equipment they had, the money, they did a fantastic job to capture the, the I guess, the underwater scenes. And the sharks were not the bad guys in this movie. The dive master and the guy counting, they were the bad guys. Well, yeah, poor old Junior. I think he got sacked as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, before we go, plug your podcast, because I know since we you were on the show last time, you started your own movie review show of your favorites. Tell us about that. Well, technically, I haven't – it hasn't officially dropped yet. I was doing some uh, uh, some podcasting on a particular show that you and me watch. But we won't go into that. Um, but I recorded some stuff. I'm still in the editing stage of putting some stuff together and working out which order I bring them out in. But it's actually called Sequels Suck. And yes. Yeah, so it's a favorite, uh, a bit of a line or a bit of a conversation piece that happens in the movie Scream 2 where there's a discussion about sequels and and the reason why they suck pretty much and, and then sort of the counterpoint of, oh, no, but this movie was fantastic, blah, blah, blah. So I just sort of thought, well, there's some – a bit like – it's pretty much inspired by yourself with staff picks and I just think there's some sequels out there that aren't actually – aren't too bad and actually quite good and stack up to the original. So it's not – I'm not going to be looking at stuff like Terminator 2 and Aliens, which, you know, some of the oh, – and Godfather 2, which are the some of the better sequels. Um, it's more the sort of – you know, maybe the horror ones, like, you know, Blade 2, Scream 2, and a few of the other ones that I think are prob- almost as good, if not better, than the original movies. So, yeah, that's what I'm sort of going to look at and just get a few people that want to talk movies, and, yeah. All right, how can people find that? Is there any way, place to look at it yet? Uh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's a perfect plug. Yeah, there's something coming out that you won't be able to find. <laughs> no, but just, just look for Sequel Suck. I mean, that's probably the... The, the, well, that's going to be the title of the podcast, and that'll come out soon. Um, if you do want to follow me and, and get more information on that or the other podcasts I do, um, Cable Unplugged on Facebook is the page to go to. All right. Again, thank you for joining me. I thought that was a good discussion. And, again, I just want to thank everyone for listening. This is, again, part of my October Sweeps podcast where I'll be doing a lot of scary, creepy horror movies this month. And I'll try to lead up to my all-time favorite horror movie, the original Halloween. We'll be doing that, hopefully, I'll dropping on October 31st. So, again, thank you for listening. My name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me on uh, email staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until then, I'll be out there looking for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Take care, and make sure when you go scuba diving that they always do an accurate dive count because you do not want to end up being shark food. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. that was the time I was most frightened waiting for my turn I'll never put on a life jacket again so 1100 men went in the war 316 men come out the sharks took the rest June the 29th 1945